open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. 1 John chapter 2. You know, everything that we do in church and everything that we do as the people of God is centered around Jesus. Uh, who he was, defining who he was, and what he did, uh, died on a cross for our sins. Everything that we sing, everything that we teach, everything that we preach, all of our ministries, our philosophy of church, everything that we are as the people of God is completely and absolutely centered around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, when you get out into the world, things are different. Things are much different. When you get out in the everyday environments of the world, there are people out there that do not embrace our ideals. There is, there's nothing shocking about that. Uh, the world out there is unchristian. We know this. Uh, we don't have to live in the world for very long before we realize that the world in general is unchristian. Doesn't mean that everybody in the world out there is unchristian. Doesn't mean everything that we're involved in is unchristian. But generally speaking, the world is not a Christian place in which we live. Everything in the world kind of pushes us in the opposite direction of Christ as they pursue the things that are not of Christ. But there's more. This is what we're going to talk about today. There's more out there than just people that are unchristian. There's more than just unchristian influences out there. There are actually people and uh, organizations and influences out there that are anti-Christian. They are anti Christ. There's a big difference in between being unchristian and between being anti-Christian. Being unchristian basically means that I don't embrace your teaching, that's okay for you, but I believe something different and I respect you for it and you respect me, whatever. Um, being unchristian is saying that there are certain things that you do or don't do because of your faith, believe, don't believe because of your faith, and I don't embrace it like you do. That's, that's being unchristian. I just don't really want to accept Jesus. Being anti-Christian is saying that I don't think that you should be that way, and for you to be that way is not right, and I'm going to try to use everything that I am as an influencer to pull you away from Christ, to get you to depart from the teachings of Scripture, to leave behind a lifestyle of Christianity, and to, and to separate yourself from the people of God. It's not good for you, and so therefore I'm going to try to, try to, to, to teach things and to influence you in an anti-way. This is, according to maybe your life group lesson that you were in today, is the spirit of Antichrist. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you today about Antichrist from 1 John chapter 2. Now, your life group lesson today was from 1 John chapter 4. And there's a reason that the reason that, that Tommy and I kind of kind of did it that way. So Two times in the book of 1 John, uh, there is uh, some teaching about Antichrist. One time in chapter 2 and one time in chapter 4. I'm going to primarily be in 1 John chapter 2 today, but I'm also going to refer a lot to 1 John chapter 4 today as we talk about the spirit of Antichrist. Now first let me tell you what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about the Antichrist. 
who is going to appear at the end times in an apocalyptic type of environment in which you have one person, the Antichrist. I'm not talking about that. That person that's taught, uh, maybe referred to as the man of lawlessness in the New Testament. And um, uh, that person that we see, perhaps the, the beast that's in Revelation. Um, you, some of you have studied that a lot more than I have. I'm not talking about the Antichrist, that one person. That's only referring to one person. What I'm talking about today is just what I'm going to be referring to as the spirit of Antichrist. So whenever I say the Antichrist, I'm not talking about that one person. I'm talking about the influence and the people in the world that don't just deny Christ, but are actively working to destroy Christ, to destroy the people of God, and to pull us away. And John says that there are many Antichrists out there in that respect. So I want to invite you to open your Bible and stand with me as we read 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 18. I'm going to go through verse 25. Now there are three words that I want you to really clue into as we read these verses together. Three words that would make just a perfect, alliterated, three-point sermon. But unfortunately, I don't have time to do it all today. You're going, to see th- you're going to see three words as we read these verses together. You're going to see the word antichrist. You're going to see the word anointing. And you're going to see the word abide. I'm going to mainly talk to you today about that first one, antichrist. But I am going to refer uh, to the anointing that we have received from God and the command to abide in Christ. But I'm mainly going to talk about that next week. So this is really kind of a two-part sermon with part one this week and part one Next week. So let's see what the Word of God says about Antichrist this morning. Chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. Let's pray. Father, would you give us clarity today when it comes to these verses? God, would you just give me a clarity of speech as I seek to explain the truth that are found in these verses? Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit to open our minds and to open our hearts to receive your truth? God, with the goal today of helping us, Lord, to be drawn to you and to cling to Christ, who is our all in all. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Okay, so like I said, it's going to kind of be a two-part series. And I want to start by just recognizing and acknowledging some, some truths about Jesus that we hold firm. I mean, these things, I've tried to, I've tried to simplify these things as, as much as I can in just some very simple statements of some things that we believe about Christ that people who are anti-Christ, uh, they actively combat these truths. We believe that Jesus was fully God and has been from eternity past. We believe that God the Son has always been existence and He always will be in existence and that Jesus was and is and always has been fully God. But we also believe that Jesus was fully man and He was born of a virgin. These, this is a truth that we celebrate around Christmas, these twin truths, but mainly this, this second one, that God became man and that He was born of a virgin. We also believe that Jesus never sinned. That Jesus pleased God the Father perfectly in a way that no other human being ever has. So when Jesus was baptized and God's voice was heard, it says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. God has never felt that way or said that about any person in their natural human state apart from receiving Christ. All of us have sinned and fallen short. Number four, uh, Jesus died on the cross as payment for our sin. You and I deserved wrath. You and I deserved death. Even though Jesus was perfect, all of that wrath and punishment was poured out upon Christ whenever he was placed upon the cross. And number five, this could really be our starting point, is that all people are born sinners. The only way to be saved from the eternal wrath of God is through faith in Christ. These, these, are, these are elementary, basic views of what we believe about Christ. Now, they can be very complicated. Theologians have filled thousands and thousands and thousands of pages describing this and trying to explain this. These are both the simple, basic truths that we believe as well as the sum total of all that we cherish. It is that about Christ. Now, there are lots of people that don't believe this. Lots of people in our world don't believe this. In fact, the vast majority of the world does not believe like you and I believe. We're in the minority with this. We are in a very small minority. Jesus says that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. If you were to go out into the world and you were to randomly pick people in the world, just randomly get them, at, uh, get them pick them from wherever on the globe, very few people would actually live their lives according to this, and, and a lot of them would not, uh, uh, would, not, would not agree. Now, that's to be expected. But like I said before, there are some people and some influences and even some systems in the world that are actively combating this teaching. It's not enough for them to say, well, I don't believe, I don't believe that way. There are some out there that are actively combating these teachings and believe that it is harmful and that it is dangerous. And their goal is to pull you away from the Christian faith, to get you uh, to abandon a lifestyle as a Christian and to depart from the people of God, of God and have nothing to do with them. And John tells us that these people are Antichrist, and that they are 
everywhere. He says that many antichrists have come. I bet if you were to think about the influences in your life, the people in your life, the people that you're around, maybe the things that you study in college or corporate America that you're involved in or the political system or education systems that we see around us, you can probably see that there are many antichrists all around us. I spoke a little bit about this last week as I talked about worldliness and uh, how John shows us that worldliness is just, it's, well, it's really embedded in all of the systems of the world. You and I live in these systems. We work in these systems. We're relationally connected to our educational systems, political systems, uh, economic systems, all of those. But what John is warning about here is that within our religious systems, we can find anti-Christian influence. We can find anti-Christ not just out there somewhere in the world systems, we can find them embedded in religious systems and also in churches. And John, is, John was telling the, these people, he was writing to you, he said, listen, you need to test the spirits because there's false teachers that are coming at you from every direction. And 1 John, I told you I was going to refer to 1 John chapter 4, um, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, he says, look, you need to test these spirits. He says, they are false prophets and they basically teach things that are against Christ, that go against Him, and they're doing it on purpose, and they're doing it strategically. They're trying to dismantle and deconstruct the basic doctrine of Christ that I just mentioned to all of you. And he says, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Now, I would not recommend that you go around and start telling people, hey, you're Antichrist. I don't recommend that you would start taglining people that way. However, the Bible is very clear that to combat what we believe about Jesus is anti-Christ. So when you read books or you listen to preachers or teachings or certain church philosophies or podcasts or whatever you it is that you encounter uh, in the religious world, Jesus is the test. Jesus is the test as to whether or not they are legitimate or whether they are anti-Christ. So this leads to the question, how do we recognize anti-Christ? How, how, how do we recognize it whenever we, whenever we come across it? Because anti-Christ are very subtle, they're very smart, they're very logical, they appeal to us as human beings. So how do, how do, we, how do we recognize them? Well, we have to test any religious teaching, any secular influence, any organization, whatever it might be, Jesus is the test. The teaching about Jesus is the test as to whether or not that organization is in line with Christianity or not. Now, typically, we don't do this whenever we read a, a book by an author or we listen to a podcast or we visit a church or we start taking part in a denomination. Typically, what happens is, is we think about what does the facility look like? Where is it located? What happens on stage? Do I like the music? Is the speaker interesting? Do they have a place for my kids? Are people nice? Are they warm? Are they friendly? Typically, those are the things that we look at whenever we judge a church. We, 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 we look at those things. 
Can I tell you that if any church or any denomination does not affirm the basics of what we believe about Jesus, that none of that other stuff matters? None of it matters at all unless they believe that Jesus was God from eternity past and he's still God. They believe that he was fully man. They believe that he died on a cross as payment for our sin. All those basics that we looked at before. Jesus is the test. What an antichrist wants to do is they want to deconstruct your faith. They want to deconstruct your faith. They want to take these basic doctrines, these basic teachings about Christ and who He is, and they want to dismantle them. Oh, you can, you can still keep singing about Jesus, and you can still keep you know, living the way that you're living, but they want to deconstruct and dismantle what you believe about Christ. And they start with certain doctrines, and the first place it happens... First place it happens is an antichrist says Jesus was not God. That's the first place they start. Jesus was not God. Now he may have been a good person. He may have been a good teacher. But he's basically no better than Gandhi or anybody else. I mean he just said and did some good things. Very benevolent. Said some noteworthy things. But as far as him being God, no. And then some will say, well, he kind of became God at some point. That's, that's one popular teaching. He, kind of, he became God at his baptism. Or he became God. Or God made him God. By, or the God the Father made God the Son by rewarding him at a certain point. No, we believe that Christ always has been God. And he always will be God. This says right here, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That is very specific statement to say that Christ had pre-existence. That he didn't just... He wasn't just born. He didn't just, he didn't just start whenever he was born of a virgin in the first century, that he was pre-existent. So that's the first thing is an antichrist says Jesus was not God. The next thing that an antichrist will do is they will say, you don't need a Messiah. You don't need a Messiah. You're okay. You're okay in your natural state. Just be the best you. You were born a good person. You're not wrecked by sin. Uh, the wrath of God is, is not waiting on people who are sinned. There's no, there's no wrath. There's just God's love. They love to talk about God's love. You have God's love. You're a good person. God loves you, and everything's going to turn out okay. You don't need a Messiah. You see, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 says, who's the liar? The liar is a person who denies that Jesus is the Christ the Messiah, the Savior. Um, and so what an Antichrist wants you to do is they want you to say, they want you to think either you don't need a Messiah or um, Jesus doesn't have to be the only Messiah. There's lots of different spiritual paths or, or, or whatever it might be, but most, most of it is just you don't really need saving. This attacks the work of the cross. This attacks the fact that Jesus died for us. I mean, how, how cruel would it be for God the Father to allow God the Son to die on a cross if, 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 we, didn't, if we didn't need saving, if we didn't need a Messiah? So that's what Antichrist does. You're okay. You don't need a Messiah. 
Here's what an antichrist really wants to get at. An antichrist wants to tell you, you don't need the church. You don't need the church. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, is really kind of a core verse in chapter 2. In fact, everything that, and I'm going to talk about this next week, but everything that I read at the end of the passage, talking about abiding in Christ, remaining with Christ, um, that's really kind of the main driving point is abide in Christ, stick with the people of God. Well, right here, he simply says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. And he basically says, they would have persevered. And uh, by the way, we could, we could list that as one of the assurances, one of the characteristics of someone who really knows Christ, is that they persevere in their faith and they persevere with the people of God. But an antichrist, what they want you to do, they want you to depart from a lifestyle as a Christian and disconnect from the church. They want you to depart from a lifestyle as a Christian and disconnect from the church. Or they want you to disconnect from the church and then depart from, being, from, from walking a lifestyle as a Christian. That's, that is the goal of what an antichrist wants for you. It's not that they just don't believe in Christ. They want you to stop living like a Christian. They want you to stop believing about Jesus like you do. And they want you uh, to disconnect from the church of God. Because they have something better. They have a better idea. And this is, this is a, a, another way that you recognize an antichrist. Is that there are better alternatives to Jesus. And all of those alternatives are worldly alternatives. And uh, that's what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 5. says, they, speaking of the Antichrist or the influence of and people under the influence of Antichrist or people who are, who are influencing people in an Antichrist way, they are from the world. They're from the world, they speak from the world, and the world listens. If you are speaking the gospel, more than likely the world is going to be offended by that. The world, so to speak, doesn't listen to the gospel. When the Holy Spirit quickens our heart, we listen to the gospel and we get saved. But the gospel just makes illogical sense to people who don't believe the Bible and, and who don't believe in Jesus. But there's better alternatives. And those alternatives are more godly, they are more moral, they are more righteous. And oh, by the way, you believe it in this whole Jesus stuff is actually hurtful to people. I want to give you, I'm, I'm, I don't usually do this, I'm going to put on the screen, the, the, the screen, <laughs> that's really good language, right? <laughs> that I'm going to put on the screen for you um, a, a quote from an anti-Christian. Okay, this person is this person is not just unchristian. Uh, this quote that I'm about to give to you, this is a quote from an anti-Christian. I'm not going to give the name, um, although this person is not famous. Uh, there's there's some of you that some of you probably probably know this person. Now here's the quote. How about this? A psychologically damaging concept that's been taught to kids and adults all over the world is we are fundamentally broken. 
in need of repair and saving from ourselves. Any system that teaches this, get away. See that? Get away, far away. In this short uh, two sentences, they have basically said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That that statement, that if I was to quote to you that statement, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They basically said that that is psychologically damaging and that it has been taught missionally all over the world, this psychologically damaging thing, that we need saving from ourselves, that we're sinful by nature, that to believe that is psychologically damaging. And oh, by the way, if you come across any system that teaches that, like Stephen Street Baptist Church and most all Bible-believing churches, get away from them. Get far away from them. You see how anti-Christian this is? And listen, it's, this is a short step to persecution. I mean, if we are psychologically damaging children, how many of you are in favor of damaging children? Oh, no, I'm not in favor of damaging children. Well, we did a study, and we showed that to tell people that they're, um, that they're inherently bad from birth, that's, that's psychologically damaging. No, that's, well, that's child abuse. We shouldn't let that happen. We ought to pass laws that keep this from happening. We ought to pass laws that say, well, you can't damage a child by teaching them such horrible, terrible things. You see how easily this can bleed into persecution, this anti-Christian type of mindset? So there's someone else that I was interacting with uh, uh, this past week. And I was explaining to her about, well, what, what we call theologically, uh, we call, and it's nobody, that is, I don't know, some of you might know this person, I doubt it. Um, but um, I was explaining uh, substitutionary atonement, where our sins, that they were all placed upon Christ, and by that, it satisfied the wrath of God. First John, Jesus was the propitiation for our sin, that his death satisfied the wrath of God. And this person said to me, well, uh, that's like Shylock demanding his pound of flesh. Now, if you don't know who Shylock is, Shylock is a villain in one of Shakespeare's plays. And basically, this person is comparing God to a villain because God required payment. Well, well because God wanted justice for sin... And because God lovingly substituted the perfect Christ in our place, that somehow that made God out to be a villain. That is anti-Christ. So how do we protect ourselves? I'm going, to talk, I'm going to talk more about this next week. How do we protect ourselves from anti-Christ? Now here's the bad news. You're not going to be able to protect yourselves from being around anti-Christian influences. You won't do it. You, you have to not go to college. You have to not study, right? It, it, to be around an anti-Christian teaching. You get, it, you get it through the things that you're taught at school. You, you, can't, you can't help it. It's just there. No, you, you have to not go to work, right? You, you have to not be involved in corporate America. You have to not be involved in, say, our legal system or not be involved in our education system, not be involved in politics. No, you can't be involved there. There's, there's anti-Christian influences everywhere. You're not going to be able to escape them. 
You're not, you're not going to be, you're not going to be able to go dirtbag it somewhere in the woods and somehow escape all the systems um, that, that, that are in the world and the anti-Christian, you, you can't get away from them. You're not going to be able to escape the persecution that's, 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 that is in place and that is coming. I believe there's more persecution for Christians that are, that are coming. Um, so you, you, can, you can't not be around them. You can't escape the persecution. Well, truthfully, Jesus even promised persecution. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. All of the apostles are persecuted. I mean, persecution is, it, persecution is part of Christianity. So how do we protect ourselves from Antichrist? And, 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 and here's where we have to really trust God. We have to trust Him to protect us. Not that He's going to remove persecution, but there are two threats to Christianity that we see all throughout the New Testament. And persecution is not one of them. You know persecution is not a threat to us? You persecute Christians, it's like stomping an ant pile. We just scatter. Hence the book of Acts. Look it up and read it. And, and, and study church history. Persecution is not a threat to us. Persecution helps advance the cause of Christ. I don't know why that happens. It just does. Church history and the New Testament bear it out. But the two things that we see that are the biggest threat to our existence are the internal threats of false doctrine and disunity. False doctrine and disunity are the two largest threats to our faith and to Christianity. And Antichrist have a powerful and persuasive doctrinal um, 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 sway upon some people. And then when it gets embedded, it creates disunity. It's the perfect way to destroy a church. So what God does, and this is what I love about the Lord, He sends the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to keep us among the people of God. You see, the Antichrist wants you to uh, not pay attention to the Word of God, not pay attention to the Spirit of God, and to leave behind the people of God. But God has given us an anointing. He's given us an anointing. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you have knowledge. You don't need an additional knowledge. You don't need some new knowledge besides the Bible that the Spirit of God gives, and the truth that the, that the Spirit of God gives you through Scripture. You don't need some addition. You have knowledge. He says, he who is in you, the Spirit of God, is greater than he who is in the world, the Antichrist. The Spirit of God is stronger and more influential over you than all of the anti-Christian influences that are around you everywhere in all of the world systems, even in the world's religious systems. He who is in you is greater than those influences. And he says in 1 John chapter 2, he says the anointing you receive abides in you. He says you don't need anyone to teach you. This doesn't mean that you're not... This doesn't mean that you're unteachable. It just says that you don't need anything except for the people of God, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. That that is sufficient for everything you need. And the Holy Spirit teaches you. Now this is not some subjective little thing we got going on. This, basically what this is talking about is the Holy Spirit of God alerts us to falsehood. 
The Holy Spirit of God, when we hear it, and listen, if you read the Bible long enough, and you walk with the Lord long enough, and you have encounters with the Holy Spirit, and He's present in your life long enough, what's going to happen is someone's going to speak a truth, and it's going to sound really, really good, and you're going to be like, there's something about that that just doesn't seem right. And so you go to your Bible and you open it. Sure enough, they're denying a tenet of the gospel. This is what the Spirit of God, he, he, he sends off alarm bells. That's part, of the, that's part of the Spirit's ministry. He warns you. Sometimes he leads you and guides you. Sometimes he warns you and he says, he says wait now, don't pay, be careful with that. And, and he, he, is the, he is the spirit of truth in that he guides us into truth. If, you, if you're not sure about a teaching or something that you hear, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the people of God. Seek the Holy Spirit. Read the Word of God. And it is going to, that, those three things are going to lead you into the heart of Christ and into the truth of what the Lord has for you. And then secondly, we have to believe Scripture. It's, it's really that simple. This is the abiding part. Believe Scripture. What you heard from the beginning needs to abide in you. Listen, all those years ago, when you believed the gospel, when you heard the simple message of truth, that Jesus died on a cross for his sin, all those years ago, when you heard that and you believed it, guess what? It's still true. It's still true. What you heard and believed, whether you were a small child or, I don't know, maybe it was just yesterday, is still true. John says, let that truth abide in you, and you will abide in him. And, and he goes on to say, we're from God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, we're from God. Whoever knows, God's, knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Now, at first blush, that seems like a pretty prideful statement. I mean, what if I said that to you? What if I say, you know what? You just, you just listen to me, and if you do, that's proof that you're of God. Oh, but if you don't listen to me, that's just proof that you're not of God. That's a, that's a pretty arrogant statement. Unless you're an apostle, whom God used to write Scripture. See, when, when John says... When John says, whoever knows God listens to us, he is talking about what we could call apostolic declaration. In short, he's talking, about, he's talking about Scripture. He's talking about listening to what the Scripture says. You see, one of the biggest projects of the Holy Spirit was to inspire and to move men of God, apostles, to write down Scripture. See, that's never happened to me. I have, I have never been carried along by the Holy Spirit in such a way that I wrote Scripture. I write sermons. I mean, I, I can give that to you, but they're, they're, they're not Scripture. They're based on Scripture. So I can't say, listen to my sermon, and that proves that you're of God. But what I can do is say, listen to the Apostle John. Listen to what he wrote in 1 John. Listen to what he wrote in the Gospel of John. Listen to Matthew. Listen to Luke. Listen to Paul. I can say, whoever listens to them, those men who were with Christ and walked with him, saw him crucified, witnessed his resurrection, and wrote it down, listen to them. 
if you don't listen to them and all 27 books of your New Testament can be traced back to one of those apostles. If you won't listen to them, if you won't listen to Scripture, if you won't listen to the truth properly interpreted from the New Testament, you are not of God. John's, that's, what, that's what John's saying. But if you will listen to it, it's different. And number three, and I'll hit this next week, stick with God's church. You want to stand up against the Antichrist? You stick with God's church. There is a protection. There is a protection that we have. When we have the Spirit of God, and we have the Word of God, and we're among the people of God, there's a protection that we have. You see, the lion... He looks for that sheep that has separated from the herd. And he tracks him down as easy prey. And, we don't, and you're going to be easy prey of Satan and of the Antichrist unless you stick with God's church. I'm not really sure what maybe you need to pray about today. But I know that there are some anti-Christian influences and voices in your life. If you're involved in any system of the world, some of you might, it might be even within your family system. You, you have anti not just un-Christian saying, I don't believe that, but anti-Christian saying, you shouldn't believe that. Here's something better. Let me lead you out of that and away from the people of God. I guarantee you, you have that in your life somewhere. It's in some place, or you have had, or you certainly will. And maybe you need to pray about identifying some of those things and ask the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to protect you and keep you within and among the people of God. Do you know what that, you know maybe what that might be in your life? I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray about that. So let's, let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And I want you to pray about these things. What is it that's in your life? It's not just unchristian. What what is it within your life within your life that is an anti-Christ influence that tears down the gospel? And how would the Lord lead you right now to deal with that? Maybe it's something that you can turn away from it and leave behind altogether. Maybe it's something. Maybe it's something that you can't leave. You can't quit your job. You can't say no to the role that you're in. You can't stop taking. Those classes, you can't. You, you you have to you have to interface and be involved with those people or with that system or in that place. And maybe you just need to say, God, help me. Help me to persevere. Help me to stand strong. Send your anointing to be with me. Give me the word of God to help me to stand firm. Bring the people of God to crowd around me and stand next to me. Maybe that's the prayer that you need to pray today. Perhaps you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. Maybe you're, you're, an un, you're an un-Christian. Maybe you say, I'm not anti-Christ. After all, you came to church today. You're probably not anti-Christ, but maybe you are un-Christian. You've been kind of open to the teachings of Christ. You're, just, you're trying to learn more. You're discovering more about Christ, discovering more about church, You know, testing it out, feeling it out. You're just kind of not sure yet. If you're an un-Christian today, you're not a believer today. You can be right now, this very moment, this very instant. It could be that the Spirit of God 
is upon you right now and you have this weight, you just have this conviction that's on you right now, just this weight of guilt bearing down upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God speaking to you. Saying you're a sinner and I can save you from it. And you don't even have to pay for it. I already paid for it on a cross. The Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you call upon Jesus? Call upon Jesus in a prayer right now, just to yourself. Just talk to him. Talk to him. He's listening to you right now. Just talk to him and ask him to save you. Andy's going to sing a song. If anybody would like to come to the altar.